Hey there, I'm Ant Morehouse, and welcome to the Antitoxin Podcast. The Antitoxin is designed for the professional who has ticked all the social norm boxes but feels like something is missing. The entrepreneur at risk of losing perspective, and the dreamer who wants to turn their epic idea into reality. Join me and my awesomely authentic and vulnerable guests as we explore how to avoid living lives of quiet desperation and instead aim to achieve what I call the triple crown of having a fulfilling professional life while doing some good in this world while having a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Hey everyone, my guest today is Ted Bitterman. Ted is a, a mate in Boulder. He helped uh, pace me during a 100-mile race through the mountains in Colorado. And way more importantly than that, he's a kick-ass startup lawyer, someone that's really focused on helping to grow the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Boulder. And he's seen hundreds and hundreds of startups come and grow and some unfortunately fail. And he has a great perspective on the things that really matter when focusing on taking an idea and turning it into a company and making sure that you're protected, that everyone around the business is protected. He's just a cool guy. So my guest today is Ted Bitterman that I'm, you know, in firm belief is the best startup lawyer that I've ever met and and worked with. So, hey Ted, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. I, I, I'm guessing I'm there's you haven't met that many startup lawyers. You think that? <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. So, why I think you're a, a really good startup lawyer is that I think you have empathy and I think you have a real interest in the businesses that the entrepreneurs are conceiving or starting or growing or getting funding for or, you know, when necessary, actually exiting out of or having a, a shareholder sort of dispute that ends up in a in a divorce in essence. Is that something that resonates with you? You know, that you have an empathy for the entrepreneurs and, and that's why you like what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of hit the nail on the head is that is, I think one, one of my, one of my strengths is that I've got my degree in accounting and my initial plan was to go to law school to use the education to go into business. And so I've always been really interested and fascinated by all businesses and what makes them tick. And then learning about the law, I really got hooked on the sort of legal side of, of you know, how a corporation is formed and how all the, the inner legal pieces uh, come together to help run a business. And so, you know, while I, while I am a lawyer and a startup lawyer, I like to say that I I provide more as much business advice as I do legal advice. And sometimes clients like that, sometimes they don't. But it does help me to really, because I'm so fascinated in what clients are doing and what their business is, I think it does help me to fashion the legal advice so it's more a little bit more strategic maybe and more business friendly, I guess. So you're situated right downtown in Boulder, which is a an entrepreneurial ecosystem of world class and you know, you do a lot of mentoring with startups coming through tech accelerators, et cetera. So in terms of the Boulder community there, just before we kind of get into the startup journey, why do you think Boulder is is an entrepreneurial ecosystem and what, what makes it 
kind of special? You know, what's what's in the water over there? Yeah, yeah it, it really is a uh, a fascinating and wonderful system or ecosystem for anyone who wants to start a business, and it doesn't have to be in tech or any specific industry. And I think it's a combination of of many factors. You know, as, as most things are, that you know, a lot of things kind of come together. But I think that we have. You know, we do have a university here that has a lot of a lot of highly educated people coming out of it. We have a, an environment where uh, it's a beautiful setting, you know, in the, in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And so people come here because they want to live here. And so a lot of people seem to stay here. And so you have a lot of people graduating from these, this fine university. It draws a lot of smart people. And that creates, a, you know, sort of a situation. We have a lot of a lot of good talent talented, smart people. And I think part of it is we have some people that really focused on that. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned Brad Feld is sort of one of the luminaries in the, in the startup world globally, I think. And, and he's based here with his fund that invests in startups. And I just think that has created a, a good ecosystem of people who are, we have a lot of, a lot of resources, a lot of smart people, and a lot of willingness to help. And I think that's the key here that may distinguish us from other ecosystems is that if there's someone here, I've never heard of someone who is hooked into the startup scene and, and whether it be on the investment side, who's not willing to take a meeting and help people. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that really, really benefits this, uh, this area. Yeah, it blew me away when I first got over there four years ago where I'd meet somebody and then say, oh, you've got to meet these three people. And then I'd go and th- meet those three people and they'd say, oh, you've got to meet these three people. And, you know, within a matter of months, you're in with 100 or 200 really incredible people that have done insane things, you know, professionally and personally in their lives. They genuinely want to help and they're generally interested in giving back to the community and the entrepreneurial community specifically. And I, th- I think that's relatively unique. It doesn't have to be, but I think so many business places are cutthroat you know, a bunch of alpha types out there, you know, trying to get ahead and they perceive that part of getting ahead is chopping other people off at the kneecaps. And you don't really get that in Boulder. And I think that's the bit that I'd love to see sort of replicated across other areas. It's this give first mentality that I think is hugely powerful at a, at a human level, not just a business level. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think another piece I forgot to mention is that we have three really strong business incubators here within Techstars, Boomtown, and Merge Lane. Merge Lane being more focused on, on female-led businesses and, and entrepreneurs. But, you know, Techstars is a global incubator. Boomtown's more, I think they have one other location in Atlanta, Georgia. But, and these, you know, these are, you know, in-class incubators where you are startups from all over the world really come to Boulder, Colorado, and go through a 10 to 12 week period where they meet mentors and, and have a big demo day. And, and many of those businesses actually just stay here because of that, the ecosystem we have here. So I think, and that adds to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the net result of that is a company that has a, a born in Boulder brand, you know, stamp of approval, if you like, has, has resonance in, in many other places, you know, so a company that's coming out of Boulder has a, has a pedigree, has a kind of gravitas that, uh, that allows them to, you know, transact all across the US and, and globally with, with some cachet attached to it. Sure. Yeah, I agree. So Ted, you've seen plenty of startups, hundreds of startups 
over your journey as a as a lawyer in, in Boulder and and further afield. Let's work through like a chronological order of starting a company and setting it up properly and and sort of growing it and getting shareholders on board and getting some funding and you know continuing its growth and maybe we'll talk through a you know a shareholder dispute you know a, a divorce in essence and and how all of that works. So what are the themes I guess along that journey? So I've I've got an idea for a business and I want to get it set up. What do I do? You know, we all have good ideas, right? Every day, I, you know, I'll say, wow, we, you know, somebody should start a business doing this or that. I think that the decision to sort of cross over the line of saying, I'm actually going to do it is, I think, an inflection point where you need to, you need to become an expert in what you want to do. And that means you need to, you know, you need to know everything about the service or product that you're going to produce and the market and what customers will want. And, and to me, that, that it seems lo- sort of a common sense blocking and tackling kind of thing. But many times it's surprising to find someone who's gone down the path of, yeah, I want to start this business. And you ask questions, sort of basic questions. So for instance, I, I work with many medical device companies. FDA is the Food Drug Administration in the US that regulates these products. And um, they have a wonderful website with information on, you know, what it takes to have a medical device approved in the U.S. in the different categories. And I would, you know, a lot of these startups, after many months, I will say, well, have you looked at the FDA's website? And the answer is no. And it's just to me is very surprising that, you know, where there is this wealth of information available now through the Internet, that people haven't sort of run down these different aspects of the business insurance and and all these other things that can apply to it. Now, again, maybe they didn't know that they were supposed to look that way. And so I give everybody a pass the first time. But once you understand that there are these resources, if you're going to be the founder of that business, you need to know all that stuff. You need to understand it and learn it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, the other one there is a really deep, deep understanding and being able to articulate succinctly the problem that you're your product solves in the market. And I think that, you know, so often the best entrepreneurs are ones that have experienced the problem really deeply. So that that problem plus product equals equals solution. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So we've done our research. We've got a, a deep understanding of our of our science or our product or our tech and the problem and the solution that we think that our product or service is going to fix in the marketplace. You know, I think the next step is to create a, a legal entity that will kind of be the company. You know, you don't have to do this. You can, if you're doing it on your own, it's it's generally called as you're a sole proprietor. The problem with that, though, is that when you start to get investors and do other things, you need, they expect you to have a separate legal entity and, and forming one is not that expensive. And it is sort of the first step in, in forming a business. And so to do that, there's a couple of ways you can you can just jump on the Internet and figure it out yourself uh, or and just, you know, maybe expected is, is you can find a lawyer who could do it. And I think, you know, having a, a lawyer and and then very shortly thereafter, a good tax and accounting advisor are sort of the two professionals that you absolutely need to build a good foundation for a startup business. And. Where are the landmines around this? You know, what do we need to protect ourselves against? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's tons of great lawyers out there. And I think if you find a lawyer who does, you know, startup work and or business work primarily, that's going to help you. I think 
they're good lawyers that do lots of different things, you know, real estate, family law, you know, the word lawyer means a lot of things and, and there are tons of them. And just because someone's a lawyer doesn't mean they, they really know how or good at doing certain things. And so I think it'll just help you and it'll go more smoothly if you find someone who does this sort of regularly, because then they'll know sort of the, the questions to ask and the, the smoothest path to get you to um, focusing on your business, which is, is one, one kind of piece that the, the sort of basics of running a business, you know, the operational side of the business stuff is really important. It's really important for you to know it, but it's not the piece where you're out selling your product or service, right? And so I think you need to be able to do as little of that as possible so you can focus more on the developing, building, and selling your product. Yeah, good one. How do we make sure that we get a, you know, support, call it lawyers and accountants, I guess, initially, that suits our size and scale and, and bank balance? Because certainly personally, I've I've run into trouble over the years where, you know, I'll go to a lawyer, it's early on, I don't have a lot of money, and they'll hit me with a proposal that's like they're selling their services to a big multinational company. How do we make sure that we get like just the right services that we need for the price point that's as easy to absorb as possible as a as a startup business without getting a, a lawyer and accountant that's trying to you know, create a, a behemoth of a structure when it doesn't suit us? Because what we need is, is something as light touch as possible early on. Sure. Yeah, no. And, and I think that there's, um, first off, I think having a, you know, being able to openly talk to your lawyer about fees and cost structures is important. And, you know, if a lawyer is offended by that or refuses to do that, I think that's a good sign of, of might not be the best lawyer. And the other part is, when you look at sort of the size of the law firm, you know, there are huge law firms out there, you know, national law firms with thousands of lawyers. The issue there is that they have an overhead that they have to cover. I know a friend of mine works at one really big law firm and they won't take a, a client unless they're going to get minimum of $50,000 in fees. And so clearly startup work is not their focus. And so I think if you find a, a small shop, you know, we have four lawyers in our firm, we don't have a lot of overhead and we work with our clients. Again, that sort of empathy of understanding that you know, they don't have a lot of money. I do think you need to be prepared to spend a little bit of money though, because lawyers that are willing to give away their services, you know, you've got to question sort of what quality you're getting. And so I think that there is a balance and budgeting. Again, if you're, you know, if you're going to do a startup, you got to be committed to it and be able to throw a few thousand dollars into sort of building a foundation of legal work that you can grow with. And the key there is, is, you know, spending your, your one to $2,000 wisely making sure you get a lot for that, which is a lot of template documents, a lot of good organizational structure, and a lot of good legal advice that's kind of all included in that cost. And that's what most startup lawyers who do this a lot will have an arrangement where they can work with you on that. So you get a lot of bang for your buck. Gotcha. So what is it in, in that early phase, the couple of grand or whatever, and we're getting some documents and we're getting set up, what are some of the things that that process is protecting us against, you know, our, ourselves and our business and our, our other shareholders or our families or our, our support structures? What is it doing for us? Yeah, I think when you're at the very early stages and it's very common, you kind of do what you can to get things moving and you don't sort of think a few moves ahead, which is, you know, if this idea starts to take off and my equity, which is the ownership in the business becomes more valuable, how have I managed it up to this point? And sort of some of the traps you have are, 
you know, bringing in friends and family and saying, I promise to give you X percent of the company. What we make sure is that anybody who's going to have an ownership in the company, it's done with a written document that clearly identifies what they're getting, why they're getting it. That leads to some other rules around sort of if you're ever taking money from someone, you have to comply with, with securities laws. And this applies to all countries. And you want to make sure that that's all done properly. And so the example we often give is that you say to, to you know, a, an uncle who says, hey, I'll give you some money to start your business. He say, I'll give you 5% of the company. That's all done verbally. And then you know, two years later, you're looking at a $10 million Series A. And the uncle comes in and says, well, we remember I've got 5% of the company. And that can sometimes derail uh, a deal. Right. And those kinds of surprises you don't want to have. So making sure it's very clear early on sort of who owns what, what happens if someone leaves. Right. So if you have founders of a company, one of them goes and takes a job and decides not to be part of it, which is very common. You know, what happens to their interests? Is there a vesting schedule and do the shares come back to the company? Um, and those are, you know, so those are kind of the, the pieces that you want to make sure. And those are as a startup lawyer you're going to have sort of a checklist of things you go through to make sure that doesn't happen. The last piece is if you're ever, and this is just sort of a rule of thumb, if you have anybody doing development work for you, whether they're an employee or a contractor, and they're one or the other, right? If anybody's doing work for you is either your employee or an independent contractor, you want to make sure that the things that they develop for you are owned by the company. And this, this is a really big trap early on is that you know, remember, it's your company that is needs to own the intellectual property. And people think of patents all the time. But it's, it's anything, it's any ownership in the development needs to be in the name of the company, not that person. And so many times you have sort of these verbal agreements and somebody comes back later and says, hey, the deal was that either I think I still own that and you have to license it from me now, or I was promised something like a piece of the company, like 5% or 10% for doing the work. Gotcha. So with the shared ownership of a company, let's say I'm bringing in, I'm going to start a company and there's there's me and there's a, another guy who I know, he's really good at development and there's a, there's a lady that I want to bring on board and she's really good at marketing and sales, let's say, and we decide to start this company and we want to make sure that it's clear about the process. What, what are some of the things that we need to do perhaps with the assistance of a lawyer, to make sure that we're starting off on the right foot and inevitably people's circumstances change because they fall out of love with the business or they decide they fall in love with somebody else's business or they decide to go back to a full-time job because it's just a lot easier and they can be paid more money early on or they have a family circumstance change or we just have a fight and split up. Like, what are some of the things that we need to do to protect ourselves and the people around us in those early stages? Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, sort of what we do is we document in what's called a founder restricted stock purchase agreement, essentially, you know, what ownership you're going to have as one of the founders in the company. And then we have a vesting schedule that's, and, and the sort of rule of thumb is after you've worked with the startup for a year, you get 25% of that of those shares. And essentially it's the vesting means that the company can't buy them back from you or take them away from you. So you have them. And then for another three years, it vests monthly. So after four years, and that's called a one year cliff, meaning if you, if you don't last a year, 
all your shares come back to the company. Then you get 25% after the year. And then the next three years, you get the rest of it, 75%. So after four years, all those shares that you got are fully yours and they can't be repurchased by the company at nominal value. And that agreement can also identify if you're putting in cash or if you're providing services. And so that kind of the idea is that it's clear up front that, yeah, you're going to be providing the money or you're giving the, the IP and you're going to work for this. And then salary can be kind of dealt with separately. In most startups, you don't pay a salary early on. You get that later. So you sort of equity and salary looked at sort of combined. But, but that way, if somebody does, circumstances change and in six months they leave, well, that let's say they had a, a you know thirty percent of the company. The company would get all of that back, and they'd be able to use that for bringing in another founder to do what that person was doing. Right. So let's say you and I decide to start a business, and we agree that we're both going to be full time in this business, and we're both going to you know roll up our sleeves and give it our all. But to protect the business and the party that that stays focused on it, you're building in a mechanism so that if if you're working full steam ahead on this business and I get distracted and start to pull back or I'm not sort of doing my share, that I've basically got to do a full year before, you know, I'm sort of owning part of the business. And then that that continues on for a period of time that we agree on to make sure that you and I don't meet around a cafe, shake hands, start a business, split the business 50-50. You know, you're burning the midnight oil and I'm I'm at the beach the whole time owning 50% of the business and there's nothing that you can do to kind of to remove me without without buying me out, right? Yeah, that's right. And we and we deal with, you know, the 50-50 is actually a unique situation that's dealt with kind of separately, but generally you don't end up with that and and you always want to have some kind of a, a dispute resolution process. But ultimately, the contracts provide the sort of solution when a tough decision is made. But ultimately, you know, communication between founders and sort of managing expectations and making sure that early on people understand, you know, what they're supposed to do, what they're expected to do is really important. That'll keep things going. And and so they kind of have to work together, but the contracts can't run the business, of course. Yeah, that's right. The reason I think this is so freaking important for anybody out there who's thinking about starting any kind of business, either now or in the future, is that it's way easier to get a divorce than it is to have a, a breakup of a business, you know, particularly as the business starts to grow. And so really, in layman's speak, really what you're talking about right now is, is a little bit like a prenup where you're, you're establishing up front that if something goes wrong with the business or the, or the relationship between the, the owners, that there's a mechanism to break up peacefully with the minimal angst possible. Is that kind of how you see it? And is that the way that you're, you talk to your clients about it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I joke often that I sometimes feel like I'm a wedding planner as a startup lawyer because you know, <laughs> pe- people come in you know, with stars in their eyes and they're excited. They have this neat idea and this new team together and we're all going to work together and it's going to be great. And that's true. You know, I certainly try to keep that excitement and, and momentum. But at the same time, we have to think about sort of as especially as lawyers, sort of the, the tough, the, you know, the, you know, if, if things go wrong, what are we going to do and how are we going to deal with it? Then again, it's not, it doesn't bring everybody down. It's not the whole conversation, but it's something you just got to kind of think through. And many times I think it's helped level set the relationship amongst the founders when you say, Hey, wait a second. What happens if somebody is not pulling their weight? And they're like, well, I didn't thought about that. Right. What if that happens? 
but you kind of, and you kind of think about it and that helps them kind of start that conversation early. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think the art of this conversation is in the significance that is placed on it or the, the amount of time and effort and energy you're spending on it. I mean, it's, it's an important discussion to have and it needs to be really open and transparent and honest between all the parties. But as you said, you know, you're not going to grow the business with this. So it, it, it sort of, you have it, you have it up front, you know, you get around the table and sort it out, which enables you to just crack on and grow the business. And so, you know, hopefully this isn't scaring anybody. It, it, if anything, I think it's an enabler where you sort of list the concerns that everybody's got. You, you come to an agreement, you document it, and then that's done and dusted and you move on full steam ahead. So leaving the legal side behind for a moment and just talking about, you know, some of the trends that you've seen over your journey of, you know, working with and seeing hundreds and hundreds of startups, what are two or three things that you just think are essential to get off on the right foot? And maybe a few things that you think, like, if you see this, that it's not necessarily a recipe for disaster, but it's, you know, you're you're starting off on the wrong foot. Yeah, I think it kind of gets back to that idea of you know learning a lot about your product or service and your customers. But it is, um, you know, it's having that, that real passion. And then again, I hate to use buzzwords that people use a lot. But when you look at sort of the, the passion behind the business and knowing that, that you're all, sort of always selling the business and, and always interested in how your customers are going to react, putting yourself in their shoes and and understanding how they're going to react to your products and service. It's just that passion that, that not all people have. I mean, just that, that is, that's one of the sort of one of the key traits I see behind the startup that is truly going to make it. And then again, that isn't, there's no, again, that's not, not a guarantee. And you can be really passionate about an idea that's just never going to work. And that's the, the hard side of it. But I think that's one of the really important issues is that, is that the person and all of the members of the team of the founders group, are truly really just they're like they just know it's going to happen you know they just they have no doubt that they're going to make this this product or, or service work yeah I, I certainly agree with that and you know in my experience there's a whole heap of reasons why you know companies that i've started or, or been part of a starting team have worked and and part of why some haven't worked and and you and i have worked worked together on on some where you've been my lawyer on some that have worked you've been on my lawyer on at least three that are, that haven't worked so I've seen, I've seen the full scope of your service, and including the wind-up stuff. The ones that really haven't worked, it's where it's been opportunistic, you know, it's, it's a side hustle. We're not necessarily full-on committed to it. And the ones that have worked, it, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's been a level of commitment well and truly beyond a, a normal nine-to-five, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, the, the phrase you, you'll hear a lot is that, you know, investors... Because ultimately, when you start your business, you're going to need capital, right? You need money to invest in building it, hiring people, development, marketing, sales, everything. And so at various, various stages of your business, you're going to need some kind of investment. And, and the sort of the thing you hear people say is that investors invest in the team, not in the idea. And strangely enough, I think a lot of people think, I just need the good idea and then I'll get the money and I'll get investors. But But ultimately, I truly, truly think that when people when you're trying to sell your business to an investor, they're really analyzing whether you as a founder are the one to who can execute and who can take this idea. Because again, as we talked about, there's tons of great ideas out there, but there are very few teams of people who can take that idea and turn it into a business. 
And that is what people are looking for. And so that passion I talked about is, I think, one of the factors they look at. So are you passionate? Are you really are you really full time into this business? Are you going to get it done? And have you researched? Do you have knowledge of the business? And do you have the skills to get it done? And, and unfortunately, if a lot of times, you know, people need to understand that sometimes you don't have that and you don't have that skill set. You can get founders to help you and bring that in. But you need to make sure that you have that sort of package to sell to people. I think the same thing will apply to selling to a business like who's trying to consider if a company is considering hiring you, your product or service, they're looking at that as well, which is who's behind this. Yeah, absolutely. We've discussed that you've got to be all in. You've got to have real passion for it and you've got to believe it's going to work. But statistically, a lot don't. So what sort of conversation do we need to have with those around us? Because if you and I are working on a business together and we're committed to it and we're passionate about it, we're going to drive hard. That means that there's going to be sacrifices. And the people around us, our family, you know, our significant others are the ones that might have to pick up the load because we're going to be so focused on this. How important do you think that is? Because work-life balance is pretty damn hard when you're trying to get a startup off the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. It, and, you know, if, if you think about what I said about sort of that passion, and, and I think I might have said, you know, you, you're fully devoted to the business. And it's one of the tough parts of it, which is, you know, you, you're going to have to, you know, sort of live day and night this business in order to make it work. Because as the, as the you know, if you're the CEO, especially, um, you're sort of the primary founder, you need to be responsible for everything happening. Now, it doesn't mean you don't delegate, you, you get other people to do it, but you ultimately got to make sure they get it all done. And that's going to take a ton of time. And so I think having an honest conversation with our families and saying, hey, I'm going to need to be out of pocket for one to two years, maybe, to get this thing started is a tough conversation, but it's a good conversation to have because, you know, we all want to, you know, we want to stay married or with our significant other and we want to have lives outside of the business. But you do need to be prepared to sort of sacrifice some of that and acknowledge that with your with your partners in life and your family to know that, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be doing this, but I'm doing it for for hopefully for a good cause. And then then ultimately, as, as things get more established, you can move to a position where you can take a little less time into the business and try to have that balance. But but unfortunately, that is one of the downsides of a startup is it is hard to have that balance. You know, you need to stay healthy, of course, and try to do that as well. And so that's it is a it's a lot of time, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And, and I think when people say you're sort of living and breathing the business, you're working on it night and day, it's, it's not necessarily that you're strapped to a computer 24 hours a day, but it's certainly with you 24 hours a day. It's just behind your, you know, it's in your subconscious constantly. And that conversation is super important with family. And then we've had that conversation. We said, all right, we're going we're gonna to really focus on this for a year or two. You know, my wife or significant other, are you on board with this journey? Because they are a business partner. They may not have shares, but they're going to have to lift to support the founders to you know, enable this. And it could be financially or it could be just you know, emotionally, definitely, and, and some of the other the logistics you know, associated with, with life. But the chances are, statistically, most startups don't work. So we're passionate, we're impassioned about it, we're focused, we're driving hard, but we can't just keep going if it's just not working. So how do we know when it's time to 
change direction, but keep going in the business. Just, you know, we've had enough data points that say we should be kind of concentrating over here instead of over there. Or it's that the timing's not right, the product's not right, like someone else has beaten us to the punch. How do we know when it's time to just say, you know what, this isn't going to work and it's futile to keep going and and it's costing too much money or it's endangering our relationships and our health and and blah blah blah. You know, how how do we get to that point? Yeah, and and again, all you know, all of my advice advice is caveated on, you know, sort of easier said than done, right? But I think if you can sort of set milestones or goalposts to go for with your startup and say, in a certain period of time, I need to get to this point with this business or this idea. And then if you haven't gotten to those points in that period of time, and, and you know, and you can ask around, you know, what, wh- how long does it take to start to see traction and get things going? But, you know, uh, you know, one to two year time period. And, you know, for instance, you know, when I started my law practice, because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, started my own business as well. And I, I sort of set a mental goal of, you know, if after a year things aren't starting to move, I need to try something else. And sure enough, at about that one year period, things started to, to finally pick up. And, and so I think that's, that is important because, you know, this ecosystem in most startup ecosystems, you got lots of support, a lot of people really rooting for you. And so sometimes it's hard to get the good advice or the, the tough advice from people, which is, you know what, this is just not going to work out. And that is just as important as start, you know, stopping is just as important as starting. And I've seen, unfortunately, businesses, you know, where it was a neat idea, but for whatever reason, whether it wasn't the right founder, run the right team or whatever, this person has been trying to run this startup for like four years now and starting to have risk with his marriage and a lot of things going on. And he probably should have stopped two years ago and just said, you know what, it's not working. I got to try something else. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice because I think that in the media, on social platforms and 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 on most podcasts, it's all upside, right? It's everyone should be an entrepreneur, 10 tips to entrepreneurial success, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's a risky endeavor and it's not just financial and it's not just, you know, yourself. It's your family and it's and it's all of the elements that kind of, you know, make a human whole is at risk if if it doesn't go right. And and I think what we're saying here is that, you know, you and I certainly aren't saying don't do this, don't go down this route, but be prepared and be transparent about the downside risk of it. And and then once you take care of that, you know, you deal with the risk mitigation, then you can focus on on growing the business with some clear goals that if those goals aren't being reached, then you can sit down with your family and say, hey, I don't think this is working what do you think we should do? And and that's what happened with me, with my main kind of the, the main business that I that I grew over the journey after about a year. It wasn't working <laughs> at all. And I had a mortgage, you know, my wife was like eight months pregnant. I mean, somebody had just offered me a job. And I sat down with my wife and I said, Well, I think we're cooked here. I think we're done. And she knew enough about the business. She knew enough about the kind of the progress that we were making. And she had enough belief in me, I think, that she said, no, we've come this far. Keep going. You know, keep going. Don't stop now. So, you know, that business that grew, that created an exit, that created, you know, some financial freedom for us, in many respects, while she wasn't active in the business, she was 
the main reason that the business kept going because I was prepared to kind of to give it away. And so by having her intimately involved in what was going on both inside my head and, you know, providing her with kind of a sense of what was really going on, you know, and, and she had enough confidence even with a baby on the way to say keep going. So I think family is so critically important to the whole journey and uh, that whole almost like marriage counselling <laughs> done up front and having having some goals and and really enabling that that focus is is kind of what you're what you're putting out there as as uh, as essential advice, right? Yeah, and and you know there'll be tough times, right? And and you know not all businesses are going to be succeeding and and just have that rocket ship, which would be great. We all want that. That'd be exciting. But they're not going to all have that. But if you're truly committed to building a real business, I think that you'll you'll know what's happening is essentially problems that mean that this is problem. This may not be the best idea versus just you just not executed well and you know maybe your expenses are too high or whatever those are different issues right so i think and your advisors and you know that's another really key piece is having you know i think what i it's it's really interesting entrepreneurs are a special type of person who really wants to make a lot of the decisions or make all the decisions they're like you know it's, this is my thing and so it's hard for them to get advice from others but Having a good team of advisors around you is really, really important. I think who, who you can go to and say, you know, ask the tough question, like, if, <laughs> is this really worth me pursuing? And and hopefully you'll get to get an honest answer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's fantastic, man. I really appreciate the conversation and your advice. Is there anything else that you want to add before we close out? You know, I think that. Uh, the sort of just big picture is the last sort of piece, and this is something I've seen over the sort of over 20 years of, of practice is that, and I mentioned a little bit already, but, you know, if you go into a startup saying, I'm going to build a real business and not just, I just hope to get rich from this. And I think that's, that's where I see a lot of, and I hate to be an old guy and talk about younger people, but this sort of idea of get rich quick kind of thing is really not the reason to go into a startup. And if that's why you're doing it, I think you're going to have a tough road. And I think if the idea is, I want to start a small business, maybe it becomes a big business, maybe it gets bought for a ton of money, that's great. But remember, it started out with a business and it's got to be something that you can try to build and just jumping for the next shiny Bitcoin or blockchain or whatever and trying to just jump on real fast. I think that's, you're going to be in for a tough road. And so I think it's great to have lots of startups and lots of small businesses, and they they employ a lot of people around the world. But just certainly, I would advise everyone to go in it with the right intentions. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Ted, thanks very much for your time, buddy. Really, really appreciate it. I think that's a wrap, man. Thank you, Anthony. Bye. Well, that's a wrap for today, everyone. I sincerely appreciate your time. I'd love to hear your feedback and get your reviews. If there's anyone who you think I should be interviewing, send me their details and I'll reach out. And please share this with anyone in your life who you think might connect with what we're all about here at The Antitoxin. Have fun out there today and try not to take life too seriously.